well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you joined us on the program today. It is a a very busy day in terms of uh, attacks on our right to keep and bear arms. Up in uh, Canada, where uh, gun ownership is a privilege and not a right contained in the Constitution, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Public Safety Minister Bill Blair have unveiled the details, or at least some of them, uh, in the uh, buyback, quote-unquote, the compensated confiscation, that's a much more accurate phrase, of the uh, firearms, some 1,500 models uh, banned by uh, Justin Trudeau last year. Uh, Now the uh, details about the quote-unquote buyback have been unveiled along with the details about how municipalities across Canada can now ban handguns as well. This, of course, is going to put even more pressure on Democrats in the United States uh, to start moving on Joe Biden's gun control agenda. Biden uh, said over the weekend, uh, using the third anniversary of the shootings at Parkland, Florida, uh, to uh, uh, demand that Congress begin work on his gun control legislation. He said, quote, over these three years, the Parkland families have taught all of us something profound. Time and again, they've shown us how we can turn our grief into purpose to march, to organize and build a strong, inclusive and durable movement for change. The Parkland students and so many other people across the country who have experienced gun violence are carrying forward the history of the American journey. It is a history written by young people in each generation who challenge prevailing dogma to demand a simple truth. We can do better and we will. This administration, Biden said, will not wait for the next mass shooting to heed that call. We will take action to end our epidemic of gun violence and make our schools and communities safer. Today, I'm calling on Congress to enact common sense gun law reforms, including requiring background checks on all gun sales, banning, quote unquote, assault weapons and high capacity magazines and eliminating immunity for gun manufacturers who knowingly put weapons of war on our streets. We owe it to all those we've lost and to all those left behind to grieve, to make a change. The time to act is now. When I saw Biden's statement, obviously I thought a lot about, okay, well, here we go, getting ready for his uh, gun control ban. But I couldn't help but think about the fact that not everybody who lost a loved one in that senseless act of violence three years ago last Sunday buys into Biden's gun control agenda. There are family members who spent Sunday mourning and grieving and remembering the good times with the kids that aren't there anymore, who don't believe that Biden's attack on law-abiding gun owners is going to make any of us any safer. And one of those individuals is Ryan Petty, whose daughter Elena was murdered at Parkland three years ago. He took to Twitter on Monday and said, Mr. President, thank you for remembering the loved ones taken from us three years ago. Elena loved this country and the freedoms it guarantees. Common sense tells us that honoring her life does not require infringement on the rights of law-abiding citizens. He went on to say nothing in the president's proposal will make our schools and communities safer. If the president truly cares about protecting our nation's schools and communities, he'll talk to the Secret Service. The answer is literally standing in front of him. I reached out to Ryan Petty. Asked him if he would join me on the program to uh, talk about his reaction uh, to Joe Biden's push for gun control in the name of people like his daughter, Elena. And this is what he had to say. 
Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for coming back on the show, sir. It's good talking with you today. Thanks for having me on, Cam. Absolutely. Um, I, I I know this must have been uh, a, a very painful weekend for you with the anniversary of the uh, the shootings there in Florida. And and I saw your tweet to Joe Biden. Um, so I want to I want to ask, what was your reaction when you saw that the president was commemorating um, the deaths there in Parkland, including your daughter, but using this as a springboard to then push his gun control agenda? Not in my name. Now, the first thing that came to, into, into my mind, Cam, was not in my name and not in Elena's name. Look, I know there are families that uh, went through the tragedy along with my family, and they, uh, they feel differently than I do. But I, I know the last thing that Elena would want us to do right now is to limit the freedoms of law-abiding citizens, law-abiding gun owners in this country in her name. This is, this is antithetical to everything that she believed in and everything she stood for. It's antithetical to everything I believe and everything I stand for. So my message to President Biden, not in my name. Do you think it was, um, and, and I, I got to tell you, I, when I saw the president's remarks, you were one of the first people that I thought about. Because it seems to me, you know, and, and, and you know this, Ryan, um, I, 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 you know, not everybody who goes through the hell that you and your family and the families of those who lost loved ones in Parkland, not everybody who goes through that horrific experience comes out of it a gun control advocate. Um, I know survivors and family members uh, who, who lost loved ones at Sandy Hook who did not embrace a gun ban agenda. I, I, I know folks like yourself, Andrew Pollack, uh, who are not on board with the idea that, that gun control is the answer here. And yet when you look at President Biden's remarks, it's like you all don't exist. I mean, he talks about the parents and the students and the survivors, but he talks about them in terms of their gun control activism, not in terms of you as individuals who may very well have a different opinion when it comes to gun control. Yeah, I think for a lot of politicians, the lens they look this they look at these problems through is one of gun control. The the problem is the gun, and I've never believed that the issue was the gun. I didn't believe it before, and I don't believe it now. And Cam, you know, I sat on the commission that spent two years investigating this. I still sit on that commission. We're not done making recommendations. But very few of our recommendations have anything to do with gun control. Uh, almost zero have to do with gun control. In fact, we went the opposite direction and we mandated that teachers be armed in our schools in Florida because we believe that, and the evidence shows that a good guy with a gun can stop these things from happening. But I don't even want to get to the point where we have to stop them the day of. We can solve these issues through prevention far before we get to the actual day of attack. If, if we make it to the day of attack, we've already lost. I, uh, I was presenting yesterday to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. They're training agents on, on, a, uh, on what's called behavioral threat assessment. It's what the Secret Service uses to protect the president, President Biden himself. They use this methodology, and we can use it to prevent these tragedies from happening. Happening, but it has nothing to do 
with restricting our rights or our freedoms as Americans. You know, as you talk about this, I'm reminded of uh, targeted deterrence, which is, um, you know, we talk about dealing with violent crime, the rise in homicides that we've seen across this country. Again, you know, for some politicians, the answer is automatically, well, we've got to try to ban our way to safety, right? We have to just, uh, you know, make these things illegal to own and then we'll just arrest everybody who owns them. When criminologists that I've talked to and a lot of, frankly, a lot of law enforcement officials say, look, that's not the way to do it. We know who these violent offenders are. We need to focus on them uh, rather than passing laws that, uh, you know, are going to restrict the rights of, of legal gun owners who are never going to commit a crime. Let's focus on those that we know are the nexus uh, for these violent acts. And let's deal with those individuals, right, who are, frankly, a, a fairly small uh, a, a portion of the population in any given city. And, and that is a more effective, is certainly a more constitutional way uh, to address violent crime. It sounds like that's what you're talking about here with behavioral threat assessments, that focus on the individuals who actually pose the problem and deal with those individuals, whether it's through the criminal justice system, whether it's through the mental health system, but ensure that, that there are consequences uh, for those individuals before it gets to this point and that, to me, I, I got to tell you, right, I mean, again, that seems like a far more effective way, regardless of how you might feel about the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. If you care about stopping these violent acts, what you just described seems like a much better way to do it. It is because, again, it's not about the weapon. You know, the Secret Service has studied these school attacks and public space attacks for a number of years. You know, one of the deadliest attacks was a knife attack at a high school in Utah a few years ago. Um, one of the highest casualty accounts was with a knife attack. So if we focus on just the weapon, the mode of attack will change. And I don't want to give any of these potential attackers ideas, but they'll use a different method. We know that. We, we, we've seen this with terrorists. We, you, you know, you look at uh, the way the terrorists adapted in Iraq and Afghanistan to the tech to the tactics we were using, far better to understand the threat, identify those that are making threats, and then take some action um, at that time. And even on this idea of behavioral threat assessment, it doesn't necessarily mean an arrest, right? What it means is let's bring resources to help the person that's making the threat. Let's identify the grievance that they have, right? Perceived or otherwise. Let's uh, understand whether they have the means to actually carry out the attack. Let's see if they've, if they've exhibited any planning behaviors. Are they actually ideating about how to, how to carry out an attack? Have they planned an attack? Those are things that we can, we can use to actually prevent these attacks. I think taking, taking firearms out of the equation or making, you know, banning them generally, uh, th that's not going to make us any, uh, any safer. It's just going to change the mode of attack. Well, you know, and uh, we, we kind of saw evidence of this last week um, in Minnesota. There was the shooting at the uh, health clinic in Buffalo, Minnesota. And as it turns out, this guy was on law enforcement's radar, had been for a number of years, had made repeated threats against this very clinic. In order of protection, had actually been taken out uh, by the clinic. Uh, this individual violated that order of protection. Um, he was charged. But then there was a mistake. Uh, the prosecutor actually determined, all right, this guy's not mentally competent to stand trial and dropped the charges rather than allowing a judge to make that decision. 
And if a judge had made that decision, then this individual would have been prohibited by law from possessing a firearm. But because the prosecutor decided on his own initiative to drop that case, this guy was not a prohibited person. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I reflect on the failures of law enforcement, the failures of the uh, school district there in Parkland, none of which, by the way, was mentioned by the president. Right. Um, and and that's, a, that's a whole other issue, Ryan, because, you know, when we talk about enforcing the laws that are on the books as opposed to putting new laws on the books, that isn't some sort of hypothetical exercise. It's not just a bumper sticker slogan. This is what we're talking about. We don't have to restrict the rights of American citizens if we can improve uh, the actions of government and make government more effective in fulfilling its duties. Look, the lessons of, of almost all of these tragedies, and, and you can even think of 9-11 in this, in this regard, they were failures to imagine what these evil actors are capable of and a failure to communicate and share information. So where that prosecutor in Minnesota makes the mistake is that unilaterally he or she decides to drop charges. The, what, we, what we need to do is be talking across disciplines, right? We, what we need is for the school district, in the case of Parkland, the school district should have been talking to the sheriff's office and they both should have been talking to the mental health provider that was, that was um, working with uh, the killer. Uh, in the case of uh, behavioral threat assessment, it calls for a multidisciplinary team. That means law enforcement, mental health, other other factors or members of the community, and even family members. And so you get a holistic picture. You get a better understanding of what somebody's actually thinking and capable of doing. You know, Cam, time and time again, we what we see are, are failures to communicate, failures to share information. And one agency or department or school district makes a decision and and or a prosecutor in this case and there are deadly consequences that's right and even if you know again i, I want folks to understand i mean even if you don't care about the constitutional right to keep and bear arms even if, if, if that's not even a factor you think it should go away at the end of the day unless you're, you know, coming down uh, on the side of, look, it's, it's more important to ban guns than actually put in place policies that are going to prevent these types of attacks. You know, the focus really should be on what works. Right. Um, I, I, again, I happen to believe that um, we also absolutely must consider what is constitutional. Uh, and I think trying to ban the most commonly sold centerfire rifles in the country today, trying to make it illegal to uh, keep a hold of the, you know, more than 150 million firearms magazines. I think it's a really bad idea. Uh, and I think it runs completely contrary to the uh, Democrats uh, embrace of criminal justice reform and uh, things of that nature. But but that's, you know, that's another topic for another day. Uh, ultimately, you know, Biden's message was if we're going to protect our kids we need these gun control laws in place. And you say, no, we don't. We need a more effective system to deal with these threats. Look, the, the, the president, the problem I have with the president's proposal is he doesn't even explain how he would do that. How, what, by what means are you going to ban uh, so-called assault weapons? And quite frankly, he doesn't even know what that means. Um, there's not, no specifics in the plan. That's one problem I have with it. The second problem I have, quite frankly, Cam, is that the evidence just doesn't support the president's proposal. What we found in investigating 
the Parkland tragedy. And when you look at all of these tragedies across the, the last 20 or 30 years, the common issues that you see are uh, there were threats, there were threats made against a school or individuals at a school. People knew about it. Information was uh, available to stop the attack. It was clear what the intended target was and, and that there was an attack imminent. Information wasn't shared. Uh, and, and because information wasn't shared, action wasn't taken to stop it. The, the, it's a, you know, it's, it's the most heartbreaking part of what happened to, uh, to my family and the, in the 16 families in Parkland was the failure by those that were responsible for protecting our loved ones to communicate with each other about the threat that they all understood but thought they either had a handle on it or couldn't imagine that it would happen there. If the district had shared information with the with law enforcement, if law enforcement had shared information with the school district, and if either of them had talked to the mental health provider that was treating the killer, uh, they would have seen a pattern of behavior and an escalation along a pathway to violence that was leading to inev inevitable tragedy. And that's the hardest part of this whole thing is that this was preventable. And I think most of these are preventable. But it does not require restricting the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. These freedoms should be protected by our government, not be put at risk. Ryan, I know that you didn't ask for this, and you may very well not want it, but um, I hope you realize how important your voice is at this moment in time. Um, and are, are you willing... Uh, you know, you're talking to me right now. I know that you've never shied away from from uh, from from speaking out, but uh, but but are you willing to be a voice in opposition to uh, to to the president's uh, gun ban plans? Or do you want to um, uh, speak out and be vocal and 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 lend your voice uh, to efforts to try to defeat these measures? Absolutely, and I and that's what I plan to do. My my daughter, look. I've told you this before, Cam. One of the one of our favorite things to do is go to the gun range together. My daughter Elena loved to go shooting with Dad, um, and she was a she was a supporter of the Second Amendment, just as I am. And yes, I I intend to lend my voice and and use uh, and be the voice that my daughter can't, doesn't <laughs> be the voice my daughter no longer has. Um, look, I was on the phone with uh, with the White House last week. Um, I'm trying to reach across the aisle. Um, I told them we've done some good things since Parkland. We've made some improvements. And one of the things I'm most proud of, um, is that we have not, uh, this, this is going to sound, uh, this is going to sound a bit incredulous. One of the things I'm most proud of is that we've been able to have at least a conversation and move our legislature forward in the state of Florida and to some extent at the federal level on non-gun control issues post-Parkland. I know the big media hype was all around the march uh, the kids made and the calls for gun control, and that got most of the media airtime, but they got almost nothing done, almost nothing done, completely ineffective, right? Other than generating a lot of media attention and getting a lot of people to march down the street. It's all they were able to accomplish. What we did as a group of parents was put forward legislation 
in the state of Florida and at the national level that actually makes our schools safer. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of. And I will continue to try to be the voice of reason that gun control is not the answer. It's not going to solve it. I sat for two years on a commission investigating this tragedy, and there is zero evidence that the president's plan, call it a plan or even call it a plan, a proposal, would have prevented Parkland. Two years of evidence, which I, I guarantee is more time than Joe Biden has spent thinking about this issue. I'd even venture a guess, Ryan, that's more time than Beto O'Rourke uh, has been thinking about this issue. Uh, and I, I'm glad that you um, were able to at least talk to the White House. I, I just I just wish that they'd be willing to listen. I, I'm hopeful that they will be. In fact, I told them, please don't undo the good work that, that has been done thus far. And uh, and uh, at least one individual on the call uh, indicated that uh, they wanted to understand more about my point of view and understand what I thought had been done that, that had been done well and that uh, that needed to be maintained. So I'm I'm optimistic. But again, the lens through which most of these politicians look at these issues is the lens of gun control. And so they only see one solution. So while I, I may be able to help mitigate this in some regard by by communicating, by using my voice as a father of a victim. Um, I can use my public uh, voice to communicate to those um, in our country to let them know that not all of us believe that gun control is the solution. Not all of us believe that that restricting the freedoms that we enjoy as American citizens is the answer to the epidemic of violence we have in our schools. Um, I think there are far more effective solutions, and I'll keep advocating for those. Ryan Petty, I am so glad that you're using your voice. I'm, uh, I'm proud to call you my friend, and I, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the program today. Uh, I look forward to continuing this conversation in the very near future, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Cam. I truly cannot thank Ryan enough for uh, coming on the program and for using his voice, for speaking out. Again, every one of these tragedies that we see, whether it's Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, there are individuals impacted who do not come out of that with an anti-gun mindset. They do not come out of that intent on banning our way to safety. And yet those voices typically are not heard from. The media doesn't seem as interested. And many of these individuals don't consider themselves to be activists. They want to go about their lives. They don't necessarily want to all of a sudden be the poster child for the Second Amendment. Um, that's not always the case. We have seen Columbine survivors who have run for office, who have, who have, who have actually won elections uh, in Connecticut. J.T. Lewis, uh, whose younger brother was murdered at Sandy Hook. Uh, ran for office and again, uh, ran on a uh, platform about protecting uh, the Second Amendment because J.T. Lewis understands that you can't ban your way to safety. I just wish that the media and, and frankly, these anti-gun politicians were more interested in hearing uh, from folks like Ryan Petty and Andrew Pollack and those others uh, who are out there who know that the best way to make this country a safer place is not by trying to criminalize a constitutionally protected right. But again, 
by dealing with those individuals who need help and in some cases need consequences. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We'll start there. Case out of uh, California, Santa Rosa, where a, a shooting suspect arrested on multiple offenses after uh, firing gunshots into a Santa Rosa home. Uh, police say Hector Juan Carlos Barragan was with several of the people who went to this residence. It was just before uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. He was uh, not allowed into the home because he was intoxicated. He apparently became angry about that. Returned to the home about a half hour later, according to police. Several shots fired into the home, uh, perhaps intended for the people that he had come with, although he had already departed, according to uh, uh, Police Sergeant Christopher Marini, or uh, excuse me, Christopher Mahurin. Uh, at least two gunshots, or at least uh, two of the bullets, found their way to a bathroom of the residence, one shattering a uh, mirror. Police obtained a description of Barrigan in the uh, car that he was driving. They were searching for him when a deputy pulled him over a, a short time later. Authorities did not find a gun with him, uh, but they did search his home because it was on probation. They located uh, hundreds of Xanax pills, some cocaine, uh, 9mm ammunition, as well as a magazine. He was arrested uh, on uh, suspected assault with a deadly weapon, possession of controlled substances, illegal possession of ammunition by a felon, violation of probation, and uh, several other offenses. He remains in custody at the Sonoma County Jail with a bail set at uh, $3,200. By the way, uh, Barragan, just 21 years of age, already a convicted felon, already back on the California streets, and uh, now back behind bars. Our Armed citizen story of the day from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where a uh, 24-year-old able to act in self-defense when he was the victim of a robbery. It happened just before 9 p.m. Uh, last Wednesday. Uh, in Cleveland at a parking lot of an HP gas station. According to police, a 24-year-old man called 911 told dispatchers that uh, he had shot a man during a robbery and that a second suspect had followed him home. He was actually standing outside of the residence. Uh, when police got to the gas station, they found 19-year-old Rufus Harris laying on the parking lot, suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. The second suspect was arrested outside of the intended victim's home. Uh, Cleveland police say the incident remains under investigation, but at this point, it looks to be a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense on the part of that 24-year-old. Uh, and finally today, our good deed of the day from Atlanta, Georgia, where a, a police officer, actually in DeKalb County, uh, stopped a man who was getting ready to jump off of a highway overpass. Uh, this from Fox 5 in Atlanta. Uh, it's an overpass known as Spaghetti Junction. And Officer Amy Cochran was uh, one of the first on scene January the 12th. 43-year-old man had climbed over the edge of the overpass. He was ready to jump. When Officer Cochran arrived, she noticed that something was off. She said he started pointing to his ears, indicating that he was deaf. And I started signing to him, asking if he was okay. Eventually, he climbed off the overpass. He got back into his truck. She said he kept folding his hands in a prayer-like gesture. He went like this, and he told me he wanted to give his life to the Lord. And I said, no, sweetie, your life matters. She says, I have a friend, and every day at lunch he would teach me sign language because he was deaf, and ever since then I was fascinated with it. The fact that you can have a conversation with your hands. Officer Cochran says she is very grateful that she was able to connect with the man. She says, we're human too. At the end of the day, we want to help people, and I'm glad that I was able to be there to help him. Well, we're glad too, Officer Cochran. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Thank you very much for your good deed. 
That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the program, we're going to be turning our attention to what's going on up north where uh, Justin Trudeau now putting more pressure on Democrats here in the United States by announcing details of his compensated confiscation of so-called assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, as well as uh, allowing municipalities across Canada to implement their own bans on handguns as well. We're going to delve into the uh, dirty details on the next edition of Cam and Company. Don't forget, you can subscribe on YouTube uh, to Town Hall Media. That way you'll never miss a program. Or if you like Rumble instead, just look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company uh, for the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page, probably a couple others out there as well. So those are the big ones. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation and even our neighbor to the north. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.